God's word together this morning. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. You know, as I, as I read that for the first time, you know, when Jesus, he says in, in here, oh, let me just stop here a second. Um, I got a couple of housekeeping kind of things doing. I had somebody come up to me just before church and said, hey, I downloaded one of the two apps that you talked about last Sunday. He said, really, really enjoyed it. That really, that really speaks to my heart because what I talked about last week is that we're to be a congregation who knows the word. Because there may come a time when we don't have God's word in our hands and the only word that we have is that which we've put away in our heart. And one of the things that I called you and I asked of you to do was to spend time in God's word and there were two apps that I had up there and we'll show them again next week up there but just make yourself aware of those two apps. One is the, um, is the Read Scripture app and the other one is M119. Those two different apps. Excellent, excellent resource for you. We're in second week of, of this series on are we living in the, in the last days. And today I want to talk about moral collapse because Jesus talked about this. And, and look at again what he says in Matthew 24. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah. And I want to just stop there for a second. I had a little girl last week come up to me and ask me, Pastor, how can we know that the Bible is true? This is an eight-year-old coming up and asking me this question. It's like, whoa. And, and uh, she really caught me off guard. But she, when you look at Scripture... What did, that, what did Jesus just say? In the, as it was in the days of Noah, who believed in Scripture? Christ did. And he talked about it many, many times. So as you're looking at, can we trust the Bible? Did Jesus trust the Bible? He did. All the way from Genesis to the maps, he trusted it. And it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And as I was reading that this week, I I couldn't help but think of um, Boxing Day 2004. Do you remember what happened on that date? There was a 9.1 earthquake off of Banda Aceh, Indonesia. And that earthquake unleashed a tsunami of terrible proportion. And I remember watching some of, the, some of the video. We were in the States at that time, and we were just beginning to hear about the utter devastation that was happening in Thailand, in Indonesia, and all the places in, in this part of the world. And one of the things, one of the videos that I saw, people were, it was, it was holiday season. And people were at the beach, they were at places, the one video that I saw was in Thailand. And they were in the southern part of Thailand, and they were enjoying the, the beach and the weather, and there were people all over. And the water had gone out. You know, when, it was, when a tsunami comes in, the water will go out. And pe- the water had gone out. And people were looking at it and wondering about it. 
and all of a sudden you could see the wave coming in, and they didn't have a clue as to what was happening. And, and the next thing that you see is just water everywhere, just absolutely inundated everything in just that matter of time. And Jesus says it will be like that in, in the end times, in the last days. And you, know, you almost want to stop and say, that's not fair. They, 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 didn't, they didn't know what was coming. Until you go back and you look at Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness, how, saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Dostoevsky said in, in the Brothers Karamazov, he said, If God doesn't exist, then everything is permissible. If God doesn't exist, and that's what it's going to be like in those end days. And when you think about that, you think about what is it going to be like, and has God told us what it's going to be like? Jesus said it would be, there would be difficult days. Paul writing, to, Paul writing in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he's writing to a young man by the name of, of Timothy, and he's writing to the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the Hong Kong of its day. It was, it, it was, it was said that all roads led to Rome. But all the roads led to Rome through the city of Ephesus. It was the port city. It was every. It was the commercial center. It was the, it was the banking center for that area. And that's the place where Paul had planted a church. You talk about a pedigree of pastors in that church. Paul was the founding pastor of that church. Who came in behind him? Priscilla and Aquila came in behind him. Apollos was the next one who came in. Apollos was the Ravi Zacharias of his day. After that, we have Timothy coming in. And the last pastor that we know of that pastors the church at Ephesus is a guy by the name of the Apostle John. There was a church that, that as, as Paul is writing to this church, I mean, this is, this is a strong church, but yet Paul is writing to his young charge, Timothy, and he says to him, he says, realize he says, realize, know that in the last days, he says, realize, realize that there will be terrible times in the last days. And what will mark those times in the last days? And the first thing that we see, what will mark those times, as you, it, and now I'm going to point you to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, because we're going to spend time camped out there. And remember, this is huge. Who is Paul talking to? Paul is talking to young Timothy, but whom is Paul talking to? He's talking to the church. This message has not only a message for the people outside of the church, but it's also a message for the people inside of the church. And when Paul says this, realize that in the last days there will be terrible times. That is both a present sense to it, and it has a future sense to it. And one of the things we see right off the bat, it says, it says but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And here's where it begins. He says, men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Let's start with that first one. Lovers of themselves. This passage here is like three doors. Three doors being opened up. And this first section here, he says, men will be lovers of themselves. When someone is a lover of themselves, they are God. Their time is their time. Their talents are their talents. Their days are, are their days. What they have is, is theirs. They have no time for God. They have no time for God's word. They have no time to spend time with other people who love God. They don't have time for that. And, and, the, and the struggle is this. If you ask somebody like that where they're going to spend eternity, they would say, 
Well, of course, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And the danger in that is, is this. People who want nothing to do with God in their lives, they don't want to fellowship with other believers, they don't want to read his word, they don't want God telling them what to do in their lives, but yet they want to spend an eternity with this God. And they want to spend an eternity with these people. It doesn't make sense, does it? And being a lover of self is dangerous, isn't it? You ever met somebody who's a lover of themselves? Mm. It's, not, it's not fun, is it? It's not fun to be around them. And you know, as we think about it in the church, because all this comes back to us in the church, as we think about in the church, is our time our time? Are our talents our talents? Is what it is that God has given to us, is it, is it ours? Is it? We can say with our mouth, but what about when it touches our lives? Because the day that you prayed to receive Christ, the day that you accepted his forgiveness and received him into your life, we gave up the right, didn't we? In Acts, it says that he died to be both, watch this, he died to be both Lord and Savior. I think the order there is, is correct. He died to be your Lord. He didn't, he didn't die just to be fire insurance for you. He died to be your Lord and your Savior. And it comes down to this. Paul says in those last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves. The danger of this is, is it opens the door to all kinds of other things. It's at the very beginning. This opens the door to all kinds of other things in our, in our lives. And as a church, as a church, our talents aren't ours. And I don't say that because we have annual meeting coming up in a few weeks and, and we need people for different slots. Let me just be very candid with you. If you are a person who's been coming to AIC for more than two months, and, and, and you're still and, and in the United States, we say, you're, you're, not, you're not kicking the tires anymore. You're not looking and saying, okay, do I want to go to this church? If you've been coming to this church for more than two months, you, you're, you're part of us. You're part of us. If you're still visiting, still checking things out, okay, blessings on you. But if you're part of us, then are your talents in the game? Are, are, you, are you in the game? Are you in what it is that God is calling? Is your time yours? And I know we're in Hong Kong. We have busy, busy schedules. We all do. But does your time belong to God or does your time belong to you? And the resources that God has placed in your hands, are they yours or are they God's? Lovers of themselves, what is so dangerous in that is that when Paul writes this, he juxtaposes this. Verse 1 and verse 5, it talks about lovers of themselves. And verse 5 says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He does that purposely. Because what we should be is lovers of God. What should typify his church, AIC, is that we love God first and foremost. And what he desires is first and foremost in our lives. That's what he desires. Because lovers of self opens the door to the next thing. And he says, in those last days, men will be lovers of money. Now, what it doesn't say, what it doesn't say is that um, having money is sin. It's not. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money. Because listen, for some of us, God has given us the ability to make money. Whatever we do, it seems like it touches the gold. You put your hard work, you put your blood, you put your sweat and your tears into it. And God has enabled you to make money. 
For others of us, we, we scrape along by. We make it from paycheck to paycheck, and we never seem to have more than what we need, but we always seem to have just enough. And the, and the question is, with what we have, he said, because in those last days, he said, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of money to be a lover of money, do you? You can be poor and be someone who loves money, someone who desires to have money. Why is there that desire? Because sometimes we think, well, if I have this, then people will say, I was watching a, a documentary on Rolls-Royce yesterday. And that was what it was all about. They figured if, if I drive the Rolls-Royce, then people will see me. And that's what one guy said. He said, if people see me driving the Rolls-Royce, then they will consider me as someone who's made it in this world. And I think, wow, that's pretty shallow. If, if that is all, if driving the, the kind of car that you drive is what determines who you are. Because what determines who you are is who's in your life, right? Who you've invited in your life. And the question is, with our finances, it's not how much I have. It's what am I doing with what God has given me? Because see, here's the thing. I'm going to be called to give an account of what I've done with God's money. Let me say that again. I'm going to be called to give an account of what I've done with God's money. We give an offering. We give an offering and we say 10%. If we want to get really legalistic about it, it if we go back to the Old Testament, it's about 37% if you want to get really legalistic about it. We give 10%. We say, okay, God, this is yours and the rest of it is mine. Eh, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's God's. And we will be called to give an account of how we have spent his money. And the, the issue here is not, do I love money? The issue is, am I being faithful with what it is that God has put into my hands? Am I being faithful? If God's given you much, am I being faithful to honor God with the much? If God has given me a little, am I being faithful in honoring God with what I have. That's what it comes back to. See, that opening one, it says lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And here's the door that now gets opened up. It says not only will they be lovers of money, but they'll be boastful, proud, and, and, and abusive or a reviler. And, and what, what does that mean? Boastful, uh, lifting themselves up, making themselves out to be the source of all that they are and all that they have. You ever met somebody like that who is boastful? Oh. It's a wonderful lunch when you get to spend time with somebody like that who all they talk about is themselves. They never once ask you a question. You know one of the, th- the things that you can do to, when you're talking with people? Ask them, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me about, about how it is you, you came to know Christ. Tell me about yourself. And for some of you, that'll be the last thing that you say all that, because they'll just talk and talk and talk. And some people just lift up themselves. And he said, in those last days... In those last days, this will be one of the marks. You say, well, what, what's the big deal with that? Well, what, what's, what's the problem with that? In our lives, who should be getting the glory? Who should be lifted up in our lives? It should be Christ, shouldn't it? He's the one who should be given the glory in our lives. As well, it talks about being, um, being let me get the word here, being proud. Being proud literally means being swollen with conceit. Being swollen with conceit. And, and lastly, it talks about being abusive. Someone who is, is a reviler. Somebody whose words are, are hurtful and who are scornful. And you know, you think about that. And Scripture says, and this one's not up here, Scripture says that let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building the other person up according to their needs. 
God says one of the things that should come out of our mouth is that which is, which is wholesome, that which builds the other person up. Someone who is a reviler, someone who is someone who uses scornful and, and hurtful words. They don't care. They don't care how, how that affects you. Remember several weeks ago I talked about the, 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 the paradigm, I, I'm hurt, therefore I hate, and therefore I'm going to hurt you and I don't care. It's people who've gotten to that place. The words that they say and the actions that they do. I don't care. I don't care how it hurts you. I don't care how it affects you. I'm hurt, and I'm going to hurt back. And these people who are the revilers are the ones whose words, the words are just hurtful. And one of the things that should mark the body of Christ, AIC, is that the words that come out of our mouth are words that are wholesome. The words that come out of our mouth are helpful are building the other person up. The words that come out of our mouth are glorifying to God. AIC, we exist for one reason and one reason only, to bring God glory. That's the overarching reason why we exist as a church and why we exist as God's people, is to bring God glory. And is God being given glory through the things that we say? He says, let the words of my mouth, David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth, are they? One of the things that will mark these days, it will be, they will be very, very difficult days. Move on to the next one. Uh, and, and in these next, there's eight of them that, that come in line. Now, here's your geek lesson for today. In, in the next thing, you've got eight, what they call in Greek, privatives. Well, well, what's that? What it is, is it takes something like, the first one is disobedience. It takes a, a good concept, obedience, and it puts, a little, it puts the, word, the letter A in front of it in the Greek. And that's called an a privative. That, that negates whatever it is that, that comes after it. And there's eight of these in succession. And it's almost like Paul just shooting these at us. And he says, in those days, they'll be disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, without self-control, brutal, and actually a ninth one, haters of good. But let me go back to that one where it says disobedient to parents. Literally, that, that's, that's, they're, not, they're not obedient. And you think about it. This is one of the big ten, isn't it? This is one of the ten commandments that God calls us to. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1-3 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is a commandment that comes with a promise. Now, this isn't just for, for, uh, for kids to hear this message, but... It is good for the kids to hear this message because this is what God calls you to. And your parents are saying, yes, you need to hear this right now. But it's also for us who are older as well. Because we all have parents, don't we? And we're called to honor our parents whether they are 25, whether they're 37, or whether they're 87. We're called to honor our parents. We're called to honor our parents. And he says this time will be a time that we marked by disobedience towards parents. It's interesting that he, that he points it out so far, so far to the top. But he said there will be a, a breakdown in the family. In addition to disobedience, there is... Well, let, me, let me stop there at obedience. Because it's not just obedience, obedience to our father, to our, or to our family, to our parents. But what do we do when we encounter God's word? What do we do when we encounter something in the midst of God's word where we know that God is speaking to our heart. 
And we talked about let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is useful for building the other person up. And you're, and you're reading along that, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, ah, some of the things that I've said, they, they weren't honoring towards you, God. What do you do at a time like that? When you know what it is that you're to do and God speaks to your heart, you have the choice of whether or not you're going to obey what it is that God says or you're going to continue in the way that you've been going. How do you respond when God speaks to your heart? That's why as we read God's word together, as we spend time in God's word together, even this morning, as God is speaking to your heart, we make the choice of whether or not I will do what it is that God is calling me to do or I will continue to walk in my own path. That's a dangerous, that's a very dangerous place to go when we choose to walk in our own path. He goes on. He goes on and he talks about ungrateful. One of the things that will mark this time is that there will be, they're just, people won't be grateful for what it is that they've gotten. We're called in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. He says, be joyful always, pray continually. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you almost want to say, yeah, right. Give thanks in all circumstances. God, you can't be serious in that. He was serious as a heart attack in this. I mean, he meant what it is that he said in this. Why should I give? Th- you know, it's easy to give thanks when things are going well. But how in the world do we give thanks when things are not going well? We give thanks through God's strength, don't we? One of the things that I call you to do is that as you're reading God's word and you come across a passage like that or you're walking through a difficult time in your life, ask God to help you see it from his standpoint. Ask God to help you to see it from his standpoint. Because when you see it from God's standpoint, then you can stop and say, God, thank you. I don't like this. This isn't fun at all. But God, thank you. Because in the midst of this time, you're strengthening my faith. You're strengthening my walk with you, God. Thank you. Thank you for that. He says, be thankful in all things. The next one that he goes on is uh, what I call the unholy trinity is... uh, he says, in those days, there will be, uh, be unholiness. Un- th- let, me, let me get the scripture here. For men will be lovers of themselves. They will be um, disobedience to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and irreconcilable. That's, that's interesting when it talks about unholy. One of the marks of the church should be what? Holiness. And yet when you read in Revelation chapter chapter 2 and chapter 3, when John is speaking to the seven churches of, of Asia, some of those churches were grossly immoral in the things that they were doing. One church, the church here at Ephesus that Paul is talking with Timothy later on, one of its marks will be that it's unloving. You've lost your first love. You're good. You're good at keeping doctrine. You're good at keeping all the rules. But you've lost your first love. One of the things that should mark the church of God is what? Is holiness. Holiness. Sometimes we wonder, why don't I see the blessing of God, the blessing of God in my life? The question needs to be asked, in your life, is God being lifted up? In your life, is there a desire towards holiness? Because he's, that, God says he won't bless that which doesn't bring him glory. And one of the marks of God's church should be what? It should be holiness, shouldn't it? One of the marks of Christ was that he had a zeal for the holiness of God. And in our lives as well, that should mark our lives. Why? 
because nothing gives God glory. Remember I said we exist to bring God glory? Nothing gives God greater glory than when we as his children look like him. And we look like him, we look like him when we, when we reflect his holiness in our lives. Can I ask for something just real quick? Can I ask that the doors be opened up? We need a little bit of cool air in here. I got some of you dropping like flies here now. So I'm going to... I'd ask you to just open up those back doors, get a little ventilation through here. He says, unholy. One of the things that will mark that time is, un, is uh, there will be a lack of holiness. And he says, it will be unloving. One of the things that should mark the church, AIC, is that we are a loving church. This is one that, that uh, I, this, you know, we, we talk about a soapbox, something that you want to camp on. When Becca and I were first in ministry, we were, had oversight of 19 different churches, and we played a game on Sunday mornings because we would go to the English-speaking church in the morning and then we would attend the Cambodian or Vietnamese or Lao service in the afternoon or the Hmong service in the afternoon. And we'd play a game. We'd say, can we get in and get out of that church without anybody saying good morning or hello or anything to us? You don't know how many times we got in and out of a church without anybody saying anything to us. I went to a, a church once when I was in seminary and I, I was pastoring a church in Montana, and I would go to Denver, to Denver Seminary. And the Sunday, it was my first Sunday in this church, and, and I thought, well, I'll go to Sunday school that morning. So I went to Sunday school that morning, and I walked in, and I was the only one in there to, to start with. I was a little early. And the guy, was, the guy was looking, he was writing something on the chalkboard, and I said, good morning. And he kind of turned around, oh, good morning. And he kept writing on the chalkboard. And I said, my name's Joel. And you know me, I'm an introvert. That's a lot of work for me to, 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 to say that. And I said, my name is Joel. And he goes, oh, good morning. And I'm thinking, okay, your name is? And, and he didn't say it. And he, kept, he was looking around for his eraser, and he couldn't find his eraser. People filed in the class, and I'm sitting there at the table, and all the other tables filed, you know, they all filled up, and I'm still sitting at the table by myself. Finally, this, this couple sits down next to me. I said, hi, my name is Joel. I said, what's your name? And they gave me their name. I said, so how long have you been coming here? And they said, Oh, we're visitors here this morning, just like me. And then the guy gets up to teach his class. Do you know what the class was on? They were preparing for the next week when they were going to invite all these visitors, and he was talking about being a loving church. And I'm thinking, buddy, you had an opportunity to practice this. I can't, you know, people were right here. And I think about the people that God brings to the doors of AIC every single Sunday morning. I look out and I see 75% of people I don't know, and I'm trying to get to know many of you. But sometimes we can come into a church and a church doesn't respond to us. Be careful of that AIC. Every single person that God brings to the doors of this church is a life in which God is working hard in. And when that person comes in, if you don't know them, if you see them standing off by, their, by themselves, make a beeline. Some of you try to get out the door really fast, but I'm a little faster than you on, on most mornings. Because I want to greet you. I want to make sure that as you walk out the doors of this church, you know that people care about you. And that you know that this is an environment where you feel the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, that's one of the things that will mark us. Are we a church that is holy? We care about what God's Word says. We are zealous for God's Word. We are zealous to bring glory to God. Do we care about those people whom God has brought through our doors? Do we love do we look beyond the skin color? Do we look beyond status? Do we look beyond that to see that here is somebody that God deeply loves and he's put him right next to me or he's brought him into the church? Lunch will wait. You know, lunch will wait. We'll, we'll get there. 
Sometimes what God is calling us to is that very simple act of saying, hey, good morning, thanks for coming to church. You know, and talk to them a little bit about who they are. Unholy, unloving, this third one is a tough one. Irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. There, that's a willing, an unwillingness to an unwillingness to forgive. And you know, as, I, as I've watched in churches over the last 30 years, this one's, a, this one's a hard one. Because someone has said that bitterness is, the, is drinking poison, thinking the other person will die. And sometimes when we choose not to forgive, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts us, doesn't it? Have you ever met somebody who there's something has happened in their life and they've just chosen not to forgive? And where it's tough is when you see it in the church. When you see somebody who... And sometimes, sometimes we get hurt and uh, Chuck Swindoll said a number of years ago, he said, a pastor needs to have the heart of Jesus and the height of a rhinoceros. And that, that, you get where I'm going with that one? You've got to have some pretty thick skin if you're going to be a pastor. And I think about it in the church as well. Sometimes what we get hurt over, it's like, can we allow that to just roll off our back? You know, because sometimes, they, well, it, for instance, when we were in Montana, there were times where people, after the harvest season, they all had a lot of money, and so they'd go out and they'd buy another, another pickup truck. Well, I was just getting used to, okay, which one is their pickup truck? And in Montana, they wave at everybody. Becca tells me, stop waving at people. You're not in Kansas, or you're not in Montana anymore. And these guys would drive by me, and I, and, and I wouldn't see them, and they'd, say, they'd come up to me the next Sunday in church and say, hey, why'd you ignore me when I, when I passed you there on the bridge? I'd say, what, what were you driving? Well, I'm driving this. Well, it's a new truck. I didn't realize who you were. I'm sorry. And sometimes people can get hurt over that kind of little stuff. And sometimes, if we're not willing to let those things roll off our back, they're going to stick in our craw, and they're going to cause us to, well, why, why, why didn't they include me in the dinner today? Why, why didn't they say good morning to me? What, what, you know, is something wrong? I mean, what, what's, what's going on? And we can allow the hurt to really escalate in our lives, can't we? Sometimes we've been hurt. Sometimes we've been hurt by somebody and we're expecting them to, to come to us and to say, hey, ooh, uh, I'm sorry that I, that I hurt you. You know, if you're waiting for that, I, I, like I said, I go back into to ministry. If you're waiting for that, a lot of times that will never happen. And God says two things. He says, if you've offended somebody, he said, you are called to go to that person. This is Matthew's gospel. You are called to go to that person. Yeah, I see one of the marks of a healthy church is that we, when we are hurt, when we're in conflict, we deal with the conflict. See, there's another side of this where it also says, if you're hurt, you're to go to that person. Not to somebody else, you're to go to that person. Because when you go to somebody else and talk to somebody else about a problem you have, well, let's say, okay, let's say I'm having a problem with Becca. I'll pick on Becca. Let's say I'm, I'm having a problem with Becca, but instead of talking to Becca, I talk to Dory about the problem. Who gets, who gets the, the brunt of the damage here? It's not Becca, it's not me, it's going to be Dory. Because she gets triangulated in the midst of this. And that happens in church all the time, doesn't it? They say, well, but Chinese culture, Oriental culture, we, 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 don't, we don't confront. This is a biblical issue. This supersedes culture. 
when God calls us to this. And so it's not only if I know that I have hurt somebody, if I know that I've hurt somebody, I'm to go to them. But the other side of that coin is this. If I know that some, if I know that, uh, what's it? Okay. If I know that I've hurt somebody, I'm to go to them. If someone hurt me, I'm also to go to them. I'm also to go to them. I'm not to wait for some, I'm not to wait for them to come to me. One of the marks of a healthy church is that we deal with conflict. Conflict, hear this. Conflict is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. I don't like conflict any more than any of you, but it is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. And one of the marks of a healthy church is that it's a holy church, it is a loving church, and it is a church that deals with conflict in a biblical and a God-honoring way. And one of the marks here, it says, of those last days will be a church that is unholy, unloving, and irreconcilable. You know, I think about at what point does it stop? At what point do we, do we lay it down? Do we lay the hurt down? One of the, one of the books that was written about the, the building of the bridge over the River Kwai in, and was a, was a book by the name of Miracle on, on the River Kwai. And it was told the story of the Scottish soldiers who were just treated terribly by, by the Japanese at that time. And if you're Japanese in our midst, I'm not picking on I'm just relating the story here. They were treated terribly by the, by the Japanese at that time in the building of that bridge. And one day, as they, as they finished out their day, one day they came and, and the commanding officer said, one of the shovels is missing. They counted all the shovels and one of the shovels was missing. And they had everybody line up and he said, where's the shovel? And everybody just stood there. And, and they, made no, they, made no, uh, they made no movement. And finally, the, the commanding officer grabbed one of the soldier's guns and he stuck it up to one of their heads and he says, which one of you took the shovel? And finally, one of the men broke rank and he stepped forward. Commanding officer took his shovel and beat him to death with that shovel. Then they went back and they proceeded to go back to the, to the shed where they kept the shovels, only to find out that all the shovels were there. There had been a mistake when they counted the shovels. The guys, the soldiers realized that somebody stepped forward to save everyone else, that changed the way that they, that they responded from that point on. The end of the war, when, when the Japanese soldiers were brought before these emaciated, just living skeletons of, of men, these uh, Scottish soldiers, when they were brought before them and said, you know, what do you want to do to them? One of the men stepped forward and he said just these words. He said, no more. He said, no more hurt, no more pain. He said, now is the time for forgiveness. And I think about that because some of us carry hurt this morning. Somebody's hurt us. And somebody's hurt us deeply. Maybe it is a, an ex-spouse. Maybe it is a father, a mother, your boss, an uncle, an aunt, somebody in your life who's hurt you deeply. At, at, at what point do we lay the hurt down? At what point do we choose to forgive? But I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that person to come forward, and I'm waiting for them to ask for forgiveness. You're going to wait a long time, because it may not happen. But God calls us. God calls us to forgive, as in Christ we've been forgiven. That's not an easy one. That's not just take two aspirin and call me in the morning. That's not an easy one. That's difficult. And for this, we need Christ. One of the marks of God's church 
and it should be in these days as well as in the end times, should be a church that is holy, a church that is loving, and a church that deals biblically and honestly with, with conduct. Boy, my time is gone, and I've got like seven or eight more here. Let me just jump to the, jump to the end. The last one, the last one uh, is that in these last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I was shocked this week. I did a, read a uh, study put out by Focus on the Family talking about, um, because there's little ears in here, I'll, I'll do this PG, an industry on the Internet that, that uh, yeah, that is a lot of men and now a lot of women have fallen prey, prey to. And they did a study and they showed that the hits to those sites have escalated beyond, beyond what they ever thought. It's in the tens of billions of hits to those sites on, on the Internet. And one of the things that they, they pointed out was that the, the level of perverseness has grown in, in that 10-year study. Since in that last days, men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It goes back to that first thing, lovers of self. Because when pleasure is put before God, and what I desire is put before God, then who's God? I am. I am. And he says, rather than being a lover of self, we're called to be a lover of God. Today, is, as you read, uh, as you read the, or as we've listened to the message, there's two dangers that, that come in. One is the danger is that, hey, he, he, he's targeting me. He, he's picking on me. Okay, I have, I, have, I have the distinct advantage of I've only been here two months. So I know probably about 25% of you, and I know maybe about 2% of what's going on in your life. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. For some of us, God's been speaking to our heart this morning. And that's where that issue of obedience comes in, when I hear what it is that God is telling me to do. The second danger is that, oh, he's not talking to me. That, 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 that's not about me. That, that's, that's, that's not about me. God's word is a mirror. And as the mirror of God's word has been shown in front of us, what does it reveal? I, by my family, they, in the United States, there's, a, there's a, a sandwich that we eat that is called a sloppy joe. It's hamburger and it's tomato sauce and, and you put it on the bun and you squeeze the bun and all the stuff comes out of, out of it and they call it a sloppy joe. Well, in my home, I'm not the... I don't know for whatever reason I'm I'm kind of <clears throat> kind of sloppy <clears throat> kind of sloppy at times and so they call me sloppy Joel <clears throat> and it was last year around Christmas time we we were having barbecued spare ribs I love barbecued spare ribs and we'd made barbecued spare ribs and <clears throat> Becca she said well we just we just need napkins for this I mean Barbecued spare ribs, if they're done right, they get all over your hands, they get all over everything. And we had like a, like a, a damp cloth that I gave to everybody because, I mean, this is serious stuff. And so we're eating the, we're eating the ribs. <clears throat> and my, <clears throat> just me, my son-in-law, he says, Dad, 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 you got, you got something there on your chin. As like, I was so grateful. You know, and there's nothing more embarrassing than you're eating and you've got something on your face and you go and you, you go to the restroom and you've spent 15 minutes eating with somebody else and you come back and you've got something hanging on your face. Like, please tell me what I got something on my face. 
And God's word is the mirror to our souls. And when God puts the mirror of his word next to our lives, he points out those things, not because he doesn't care, but just the opposite, because he deeply cares. Because these things, left to themselves, will destroy us. I mean, one last story and then we're out of here. In South America, there is a, there is a tree called the strangler fig. You can look this up online. It's called the strangler fig. And if you've ever eaten figs, they're just, the seeds in them are, are tiny. But this variety of fig that grows in, in South America, it's very parasitic. And what it does is the, the fig, the fruit, is very sticky. And the birds love to come and eat this fruit. Well, they'll peck around in the fruit and the seeds will go on. The seeds will get all over the place. And the birds will step on the, on the seeds while they're eating the fruit. And the seeds stick to the bottom of their feet and they fly off to the next tree. And wherever they land, those seeds stick then on the next tree. And wherever those seeds stick, they often grow. They germinate, and now the next, next strangler fig grows. And you should see, it starts out, it's just this teeny tiny little seed. But then you see later on, you have this, this huge strangler fig, and inside is just the shell of a tree that, that was destroyed by that, by that fig. The tiny, tiny little seed. And you think about things like this in our lives. Lovers of self. Lovers of money disobedient, ungodly. We think, well, I don't have to worry about those things. I think what Paul is saying here is he says, what will mark those last days, this whole list will mark those last days. And as, we, as the mirror of God's word has been put to our souls today, what does it show? And here's where the obedience issue comes in. Whatever God in his mercy and his love has shown to us, that's an issue that we need to deal with. And maybe it's the things that you say. Maybe it's the actions that you do. Maybe it's the, the love of your heart, which may not be God, but may be something else. It may even be an issue of where I just need to forgive somebody. I need to let something go. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, we bring them to the foot of the cross and know this. Jesus died for every one of those sins. We come to a God who is willing to extend mercy. It says in, in Lamentations 3, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. He will faithfully and lovingly forgive. But it is incumbent upon us to confess and to lay those things before God. AIC as a church, what should typify this church is number one that we love God with all of our heart number two that we are a loving church that we love one another he says make every effort to to love to to maintain the peace of Christ love one another and the third one is that we are a church that deals biblically and and lovingly with conflict in our midst that's the church that God is looking for let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, it's sometimes not very easy to hear what it is that you have to say to us. <clears throat> and yet, God, you say it in deepest love. And Lord, I, after sermons like this, I looked and say, where is the encouragement in this? I think the encouragement, Lord, is the fact that you could leave us to our own devices. But because you deeply care, 
you are willing to come and speak these words to our heart. Lord, I pray above all else that we would know that you love us. We love because your word says, because you first loved us. God, your word says that how can we love you whom we have not seen and yet hate our brother whom we have seen? We can't. And God, I pray that what will mark this church will be that we are a church that is zealous for your glory. We are a church that is committed to your word, a church that is loving. We look beyond skin color. We look beyond status. We look beyond who we are to love those whom God has brought in our midst. And God, I pray too that we would be a church that deals with conflict in a loving and in a God-honoring way. God, come in our midst. As we leave here this week, I pray, God, in the precious name of Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts, that God, as your word, as we open your word, as we study your word, that, Lord, your word would come alive in our lives. And that, God, you would reveal to us what it is you desire for us. May you be honored and may you be glorified. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Would you join me in praying as our Lord has taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.